0: Unlike uh, everyone else that has talked so far, I'm not a pastor. (laughs) I am not a church planter. I am not a professional speaker. I am a project manager. And uh, so expect that. One of the things that you will find as a theme here during these selections of breakouts is uh, we are presenting to you um, people who are not the people on stage. Um, And I think that for those of you, if you are one of those people in this room who Uh, You say, I want to be involved in ministry somehow, and I feel called to that, but uh, stages are terrifying, and uh, microphones are the worst thing in the world. Um, I agree. So um, there is a place for those people, and um, that is a lot of my journey, was to get to a place where I could say, I feel called to some version of ministry, but that's not going to be on a stage, so what does that look like? And uh, here I am, so um, we'll talk about that. How do I do this? Oh. haha! So what we're going to talk about today is this idea that everything speaks. Um, but before we get into that, I will introduce myself a little bit, because since I am not a pastor and I am not a streamer, I am not formally involved in any way <laughs> in nerd ministry, um, you may be wondering to yourself, who is this guy? So um, I am a producer at Plain Joe Studios, Uh, As such, I am a presentation guy, and I am a notes guy. I am not an extemporaneous preaching kind of guy, and so I will be looking more at this than most people will. Um, But Plain Joe is a Storyland studio. Storyland was founded by a couple of brothers who um, something like 20 years ago had finished doing a bunch of work with Disney Imagineering, and uh, they saw that Disney had tapped into something that the church had lost the thread on. Uh, they saw that Disney was able to use their spaces um, and their culture and their staffing and everything that's not their words to communicate story in a way that um, was, for whatever reason, a lot more compelling than the church was, just based on numbers. And so um, they said they were sitting at a Denny's one night, as the story goes. This is this is how they did the employee onboarding, so if this isn't true, that's not my fault. Uh, the story is that the founders were sitting at a Denny's, or maybe it was... Kinos or whatever your local diner is here, uh, one night, and the waitress was serving them, and they just one of them asked the question: If we ask this waitress what she thinks of Christians, what do you think her response is? And it's all the typical stuff, right? Uh, Christians have become known outside of the church as being judgmental and critical, uh, not people who want you at their table. And um, they said, "Man, that's a problem. And uh, what could we do to help?" Uh, And they, like me, were not pastors, and they were not preachers. And so uh, they said, what if we could use all of our experience from Disney Imagineering and um, technology? Uh, The other brother owned a technology company. And they said, what if we could use all of this stuff that's not the words and help the church achieve storytelling worthy of the story? Um, That was just the basic ethos of what they wanted to do. And... um, and so we are a collection of architects and master planners and graphic designers and developers. I'm um, to make sure I'm not like, if, if they're watching, that I'm not forgetting one of our key teams. Interior designers and um, brand strategists and communication strategists. Um, and we have, as a team, dedicated ourselves to serving the church. Um, and so essentially what we do is we continue to serve the themed entertainment environment. We work with, um, themed entertainment companies around the world. Um, and when I say we, I mean other people on my team that are really, really talented, work with people in Saudi Arabia and South America and in the United States to design and master plan theme parks and do feasibility studies and all kinds of really cool things. Um, new theme parks, old theme parks like Universal and all those different things. Very, very cool stuff and then they take all of that experience and money, and they use it and subsidize it for the church. And they say, hey, church, um, what if you could hire Imagineering? Uh, How cool would that be? And they say, yeah, that would be cool, but they're not for hire. They work for Disney, right? And they said, yeah, but we all quit, and we are Christians, and we would like to work with you. (laughs) Um, So that is a little bit about who we are. I joined the team about two years ago. I spent my life... um, went to an extremely creative family, a brother who worked for Jim Henson for years and now works for Leica Studios. So if you've seen Claymation movies that are um, not Wallace and Gromit, it's probably Leica. Um, And so he's an extremely creative individual. My sister went to school for fashion. Um, My cousin works for, like, Netflix and all of these super creative people. And I was there, like, I uh, like spreadsheets. And... (laughs) like. and so I found myself in this position where I, um, so I went to a high school of the arts for creative writing, and that was enough to tell me that I was not going to be a writer for a living. But I liked storytelling, and then I went to school for business, and that was enough to tell me that I was not going to be an entrepreneur for a living. But I did have a knack for spreadsheets, um, and then I went into construction, uh, as one does when you've um, gone to an art school. And um, but my dad is an electrician, and so he said, "Hey, you, you know, you need to get like an adult job. You're getting married, and." And so I went to construction and I um, just very, very luckily uh, called this company called Whiting-Turner and I said, hey, uh, would you guys interview me? I don't have a degree in construction management or any experience in it, but um, maybe. And they said, actually, we just got this pretty big uh, contract and we just need warm bodies to help manage it. So if you like spreadsheets, you are the guy we need. So I showed up, um, and they said, great. Uh, They they hired me, and then I said, that's very cool. What is the project? Where's the big, you know, whatever we're building, a hospital or, you know, meat-packing facility, which is a lot of what they do. And they said, oh, you need to head down to Disney. We're building Galaxy's Edge. Uh, We just put shovels in the ground yesterday. We've got one project manager there, and he just needs interns, essentially. And I said... Okay. And so I showed up. I had no idea what I was doing, and I spent the next five years helping to project manage Galaxy's Edge, which was uh, incredible. And then we finished that project, um, and then it was COVID, and everything slowed down. And so I was working, and um, the beautiful thing about that was I was still on a salary, but I was just able to you know think and process. And uh, the next projects that were coming up were not Disney. They were things like um, beautiful things like hospitals, And food processing facilities and things that would have been great for someone who really likes construction. And I just very quickly realized that I hated going to work every day on Monday. And I quickly realized that this was not my calling. (laughs) And I was very fortunate to have a project manager, senior project manager, who interviewed me, who was a very, very good Christian guy, named Casey Olson, who uh, is the one that connected me to Mike in the first place. Uh, Casey Olson is on the board at Fox Community in Southern California, which is a little community that... Mike planted. And so I had the great privilege of kind of being under his tutelage, and he told me when I interviewed, if you are not passionate about construction, uh, you're going to burn out. And so I had to figure out what my calling was, and I said, okay, I made this Venn diagram. <laughs> and I said, right? It was, this was, uh, there was an accompanying spreadsheet, and it, it involved creating spaces, it involved serving the church, uh, it involved using project management organizational things, And I looked at it, and I said, well, this doesn't exist. So maybe I'll get one of these two things at best. And then I found Storyland, and uh, here I am. So the conviction that we are based on, oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry about that. Hold on. The conviction we're based on is this idea that everything speaks, Um, which means what I usually am doing is not talking to people. What usually we are doing is communicating to people through everything that is everything that's not words. We are helping people think through how do we tell a consistent story and how do we communicate to people through all of the other stuff, your spaces, your pacing, your choice of communication tool, um, your website, your wayfinding signage. If you are someone who's ever been in a church and you, or maybe you've been on staff at a church, that's like wayfinding signage is one of the things that is like the least exciting to get into and we find it to be one of the easiest ways to love people well is just to have clear, and effective way of finding. Um, so we'll talk about that more. But that is the basic premise, is that everything speaks, and so we want to use that knowledge to help people achieve storytelling worthy of the story. Uh, because I'm not a pastor, I don't know if that's how you're supposed to do it. It's just like give away the big main, like um, whatever point at the beginning, but uh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> um, so these are um, just some of our clients, and I do this because I am super humble, and also because, um, more importantly, I want you guys to know, like, just some premise of what I want to offer you is not just me as, like, a 30-year-old dude, 31-year-old dude who um, happens to, like, want to be on a stage, which I don't. What I want to tell you is this is the people who are hiring all of the very talented people that I work with, and so I am offering you that cumulative knowledge. So these are the three dimensions that we talk about. We talk about storytelling um, that is strategic. This is the experience that people will have when they are with you. So this is your culture. This is your brand. This is your visual language, the things that you do show, the things that you don't show. For a streamer, this might be, um, yeah, things like your logo and your brand colors and your font and all of those things that matter in significant ways. They are telling a story before you ever get a chance to open your mouth. We talk about spatial storytelling, which is like architecture, it's theming, it's everything that's behind you in your camera frame when you're streaming. Um, I think, you know, like Lux does a great job of trying to really curate, when we talk about spatial storytelling, the choice of like an SM7B to make sure that the things in our space are communicating something to people because that's what uh, they come to expect. And then digital storytelling would be not streaming. We're talking primarily about like building your website or your app. Those are the things that we talk about. Um, so with that said, I want to get into this example before I do, I want to take a moment and just say, um, for everyone that's here, thank you for being here. Um, I realize that, uh, you somehow found out about this nerd summit in a town about an hour and a half outside of Austin, which is not the most convenient place to have gone to in the world, unless you are one of the like three people that live locally. Um, and this is the first of its kind. And so you had no precedent for what this was going to be. And uh, outside of those that we uh, paid to be here as actors, uh, the rest of you chose to take time away from your families and your normal lives and your jobs to come to this first-time event and listen to people talk about how to minister to nerds and love and serve their nerdy neighbors. And I just think that is really, really cool. We don't take that lightly. Um, And so that is why I want to take a moment to tell you, like, we really, really value your time, um, and we want to make sure that everything we're offering you is really valuable, and and we thank you for, for taking that opportunity. So... This is an example of everything speaks. I will walk you guys through what I mean. Your phone. If someone takes out a light phone, do you guys know what a light phone is? Where's Greg? Yes. Greg is my cousin. That's not true. But we might as well be. We're spiritual cousins. This is a light phone. Uh, it has no social media on it. And if you are aware of what a light phone is, the whole idea is that it can return your attention budget back to you. So, you're in a conversation with someone and they have, get a text and so they check their light phone. However, they do that. No texts. But you notice that they have a light phone. The, what does that tell you about that person? And we're all going to be good Christians and so we don't judge people and we don't notice that kind of stuff. That is how our brains work. We are wired to work that way. We work in community. I'm just going to keep this, by the way, great. Thank you. That is how our brains work. We are made to immediately do extremely fast thinking. That is how we like uh, understand emotions in people's faces. So, someone takes out a light phone, you're immediately thinking things like, this is someone who's very intentional about their social media usage and their use of technology. Uh, This is just someone who's intentional in general. They've chosen to do this. They've chosen to make a financial sacrifice and a practical sacrifice to have a light phone. They're just probably a better person than me, right? And um, if you are someone that has a light phone, these are the things that you're thinking about yourself too. You're reinforcing a story about yourself every time you take out your light phone. You're, telling, you're, you're reminding yourself that you want to be someone who's intentional about the way you use technology. If someone takes out, this is, I think, an iPhone 5C. I have this phone, and it's my favorite phone I've ever had, and if it could work still, I still would use it. Bright yellow iPhone, right? That is a very different thing that they're communicating. What that probably tells you, and what I was telling myself every time I took out my iPhone, is A, I want something that just works. I don't want to have to think about my phone. It just needs to, to be a phone, Right? Also, I like the color yellow, and it's fun, and I want to just incorporate little pops of joy in my life, hence wearing, like, colorful yellow shoes. Um, Someone that has the old-school Nokia, like, my wife's dad worked in construction and literally would use this as a hammer. Like, (laughs) and some people still have them, and that tells you something about that person immediately, right? Or someone has an Android. If you had asked me maybe two years ago, maybe even one year ago, Uh, What do you think about someone that has an Android? I'd say like you're the problem in the world. And now I would say you're actually probably just smarter than me because iPhone is like it just works, right? And Android is like it just is a better product, but it, it takes a little bit of work and you have to like finesse it. And so you also are green texts and you are the problem. But all of those things are telling you something about who you are and who they are, right? Second example is shoes. Do you guys recognize this first pair of shoes? This is like you have had a child, and you are now a father. And I think, I don't know because I'm not a father. I, I don't know how many months into fatherhood you get these in the mail. But it is at the hospital. So it's like here is your child, and also here is your new balances. You may go home and now mow the lawn. So, right? The second one, do you guys know these? Very specific shoes? These are Chacos. Yes. These are, once you've been in Colorado for six months, you get a letter in the mail that says you are now a resident. Uh, You may buy a pair of Chacos. Um, And if you have a pair of Chacos and you don't live in Colorado, they are um, disingenuous. (laughs) Okay, the third pair of shoes. Are you guys familiar with these? So what's very funny is when I do this with churches, uh, very consistently, they're like... no idea. And then I explained to them, people pay like hundreds of dollars for Yeezys and they just are like, why? I don't get it. Depending on the church. Um, That's because I haven't gotten to work with like Elevation yet. (laughs) That's not a jab. These are awesome shoes. You can, for what it's worth, if you are a pastor and you want to wear wear, like really nice shoes, I'm not going to like knock you for that. You use your money how you want to spend your money. Yeah, exactly. But that tells you, if someone walks in and they're wearing Yeezys, that means that they've chosen to wear Yeezys, right? And then if someone's wearing Toms, that's another thing. They've chosen to partake in a transformative experience. Um, Also, like the light phone user, probably they're the same person, also probably just actually a better person than me. (laughs) Um, Spaces do the same thing. Now, I will tell you, I used Riot as an example before we ever had talked to Magnus. I'm not just trying to like Brown-nose him. He doesn't even, he's not even in here. But Riot um, is an example. If you are someone, imagine you are, um, you can look at it through either lens. Maybe try to think about both. Your, your child or your cousin or your close friend just got a new job, and they want to show you their new job, and so you go with them. Or you are at like your first day to your new job. I really, I don't need this chair at all. Uh, and so you walk in to the riot headquarters. A, how cool, man, I mean, that would be a cool job. But also, um, I, I love my job. Don't, if my, if my coworkers are watching. But um, you walk in and you're greeted by this massive uh, bear? Anian, Anian, yes, it's a bear. And so you walk in and there's this massive beast standing there. And the office is awesome, and it's got this really cool lighting. And then there's also like lots of plant life, and there's like living walls, and everything is super clean. And this is telling you something about the kind of person that you are as someone that works there. Or you walk into your first day at Under Armour, and you walk up, and this facility is industrial, and it's wood, and there's lots of natural light. And you sit down on your desk, and there's literally people running on a track above you. And this is telling you something about the kind of person you are. Or you go to Ideo, if you've never heard of them, they are the world's foremost design studio in creating anything. You come to them and you say, we want to build a spaceship that can also go underwater and then can teleport. And they say, great, we're going to figure it out. And so that is why they are the people who literally have like swings in their offices and they're working on laptops and all of their actual offices are just like big tables with foam and like saws and things so they can prototype stuff. And that tells you something about the kind of person that you are or that your friend is. The spaces that you are in are telling you things about who you are Um, and who you are not. Uh, Instead of taking my word for it, a couple of quotes that kind of summarize this well. Scott Erickson says, we are narrative-making machines. Our five senses are taking in more information than we could ever possibly know or understand. Our senses gather this information and synthesize it into a simple narrative. And mostly it sounds like, am I safe or not in this situation? Or this is who I am. This is what I'm capable of doing. This is where my life is headed. Grant Morrison, in his book, Super Gods, which is a book about comic books, and it's great, He says, we live in the stories we tell ourselves. And so, what I want to spend a moment thinking about is when we talk about storytelling and we talk about the spaces that we are each creating, whether digital or physical, and people try to answer these questions about the story that they are in, how are you helping them to answer those questions with everything that's not your words? And I'm not going to try and give you specific answers to those things about how you should manage your wayfinding at your church, or whether or not you should build a tabletop game library, which you should, or um, should you start streaming on Twitch? Um, probably not. It doesn't make very much money. Um, the question is, whatever you're doing, <laughs> did she <you> say amen? <laughs> Someone said amen. Um, how are people answering these questions, right? And so I'm going to just read through them, try to keep them in mind, and we'll come back to these. Every person that comes in is answering these questions. Um, Again, you are processing right now tons of information. You are consciously aware of a small percentage of it. Subconsciously, you are answering all of these questions all the time at every moment of your life. Am I safe here? Am I confident? Do I belong here? Am I worth being here? Am I worth loving? Am I worth your attention? Am I wanted here? There's so many iterations of these questions, right? Is this my tribe? Am I... Do I belong at this table? Uh, I'll note that I made a horrible mistake. So I helped organize this event, and I made the very terrible mistake of putting myself on the same day as like, Mike and Magnus and Bubba, which is just like, good job me. Um, but uh, it actually worked out very well, because everything that Mike talked about led into this. So also, good job me. Um, <laughs> and so everything that we talked about this morning, about how are you setting tables, um, and what does that tell people? excluding them from the table or not, right? Yeah. Um, and so what I will lead into is when I think about this, I'm thinking about my friend Randy. He's one of my closest friends, dearest friends, and, um, and he is among a couple people, but he has become kind of the archetype in my head. I spent five or six years doing a men's group at my old church that we called Bear Truth. This was before I adopted the Like a Bear brand for myself. Um, and uh, so we had Bear Truth because we thought that was a really clever name for a men's group, and Randy came every week. Staunch atheist continues to be to this day. That was the only version of church he was willing to even consider because he felt welcome there. It was his group of friends. He had gone to church before. He had gone to my church. And he we told he was not welcome through words and everything else. It was very clear. He was not welcome there. He wore D&D shirts to church. And people said, you can't have those kinds of things on your shirt when you're going to come here. Uh, you can ask those kinds of questions. And so Randy became extremely disillusioned by the church, and I didn't blame him one bit. And so, the reason I am here at the Nerd Culture Ministry Summit is because I need these ministries to succeed so that Randy can answer these questions in a way that is of Jesus. Right? Come on. That's good. Come on. So, what I want to do is explore two key insights that we have gotten, that I have learned from nerd culture, that I now bring to every project I do with churches. Um, These are two key insights that are valuable for nerd culture and for all church culture um, that I think you can look at through this lens of everything speaks. First is well digging, and it is just really fun to do both of these. That's my fault. Um, So when we talk about well digging, in John chapter 4, we read the story that takes place at Jacob's well. We meet a Samaritan woman, and she... Uh, surprisingly enough, was not scouring the internet to find a church that she could go to. Uh, There were just, uh, even if the internet had been around, she probably wouldn't have been. She had a lot of burnt bridges and was not looking for a church. What she was looking for was some water for her children and her family. And so uh, Jesus did not expect her to come to the temple to have a conversation with him. He went to the well and he sat down with her. And I would say, and I think everyone here is here because we recognize that in our current generation, um, there are many people outside the walls of the church building who have far too many burnt bridges, culturally, spiritually, physically. Um, If you're in uh, Pittsburgh, physically, all the bridges are just everywhere. Um, And uh, that didn't stop God from meeting her where she was. And so we are just have this conviction, and I increasingly have this conviction that we are called to dig more Jacob's wells, places where the unchurched of today can enter into conversations with believers and taste living water. Even when they are doing normal things like having coffee or playing World of Warcraft. Amen. Amen. We need to create spaces in our lives and in our communities where we rebuild bridges instead of building church walls that separate us from the church, that separate the church from the unchurched. Um, There was a time. This is gonna be like me channeling all my like urban master planner coworkers. There was a time when the first structure site at the center of any community was sacred space. It was the churches, it was the cornerstone, it was the anchor tenant of every community. Uh, every town square, plaza, every commons. And um, I'll just give you some examples of this. This is St. Paul's in London. That's the church in the center. This is Notre Dame. That's the church in the center of London. This is St. Mary's in Florence. That's the church in the center. Something you'll notice in all of these is there's a church and then there's this big town square in front of it. And that's where the community would gather in their heads, right? That was the the community center. And physically, it was in the center of the communities. Uh, This is St. I'm not even going to try it. It's Italian. This, oh, this is also a great example, but I'm just curious if anyone recognizes this specific example. You probably do. Uh, It is Cathedral St. Mary. It is in a famous movie. It is in one of the seven movies I own. Nope. This is... No, no, no. Imagine, if you will, that there is a well in the center of this courtyard and a young, very pale woman is running across it to save her beloved from killing himself. Yes. Thank you. My people. Uh, Twilight is five of the seven movies I own. The other two are Prince of Egypt and um, Shrek. Um, It's just true. Actually, that's not true. It's Puss in Boots. Um, But it is a perfect example. (laughs) Thank you. I have to catch up over here now. Another example, however, is this is a church that we worked with in Southern California. And they... um, they live in the Inland Empire where it is, no one should live. Um, it is extremely hot, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it is over 100 degrees like every day. And I used to commute there, and it was part of why I quit my job. And so what they said is, hey, you know what? how we could dig a well in our community is by offering a splash pad with some of our unused space. And so anyone is welcome to come to it. And so young moms with their kids can come in the middle of the summer when their air conditioning is just not enough or they can't afford to keep the air conditioning on, and they can come and use the splash pad. And all of a sudden now, there's no agenda. We're just going to hang out with you. But they have the opportunity to now be at church when they otherwise would never have stepped foot on the campus because they would really love to have a splash pad. Um, Another example is, this is at Willow. Um, They have this massive auditorium, and they said, hey, we have this loft area above our auditorium, and we don't really use it for anything right now. What could we, what could we do with that? <laughs> and they got me as their producer. And so I said, you know what you could do with that? Other people are going to tell you something else. What you should do is buy a bunch of board games and video games and make that into the best place around for people to play d d so that on Friday night when they want to play d d with their buddies, instead of hanging out in the garage, they'll come here. And then they're going to be hanging out at your church playing d d and board games and stuff. How cool would that be? No agenda, but now they're going to be there, and maybe then you have a service on Wednesday night when they're also doing D&D, and they're going to start hearing it, and they're going to be curious. Now you can start building relationships on the foundation of which you can share the gospel. If we haven't mentioned that phrase, by the way, um, it's probably something Bubba will talk about, and I'm just going to steal it before he gets the chance. Um, That is a core ethos of everything that we do here at NCMS, is we want to set tables where we can build relationships on the foundation of which we can speak truth into one another's lives, um, including the gospel. So that is thing one, is we need to be thinking about how we can use our spaces, our culture, our streams, our uh, whatever it is, to build and dig wells. Or find wells that already exist and be at them. The other one is table setting. Um, this is my favorite picture of Mark. It's really just a picture that really exemplifies him and just an awesome facial expression. Um, but um, table setting is the other one. And this is a lot of what Mark, uh, Mike, uh, it's great. He, he walked out so I can get his name wrong all I want. Mike <laughs> talked about this morning. is this idea of table setting. In the Bible, as Mike explained, Jesus spent relatively little time in stage settings. And a majority of the time we see Jesus gathering at tables and having conversations with people. We, when we invite people to seats at tables, spaces where we can break bread, play games, uh, have good conversations, we are inviting them into a story of participation and a story of interaction. As Mark mentioned yesterday, not Mike, um, we shouldn't be surprised if the primary thing we're offering is one-directional communication, and it is a stage, and it's an audience, and then we say, "Why are you guys so consumeristic?" right? Uh, One of the things that we should be doing is this, is is instructional time and having time where we can have conversations like this. But we should also be having time that is around tables because that is telling people you matter. We anticipated you. We would love to talk to you. We want to hear from you. And that is so, so important. It is a very different story, right? There are two stories someone can tell themselves when they come to church. One is I'm going to come. I'm going to sit. The pastor matters. The pastor is going to do the gospel work. They're on mission. I am here to learn from him for an hour on Sunday morning and give him my money so that they can do the gospel and I can go and do my job as an accountant or a plumber or whatever. Um, And what table setting does is it says, actually, all of us are on mission together, and so please come and sit down with us. Michael Hendricks, in his book, where he talks about what he calls neurotheology, sums up a whole bunch of information about neuroscience and theology together, saying that joy is scientifically relational. It is what we feel when we are with someone who is happy to be with us. And then Kyle David Bennett said it this way. He said, the Christian life is not a life dripping with personal satisfaction or one basking and feeling positive. It isn't a life baptized in stimulation or excitement. It definitely isn't a life of consecutive highs and fixes. Rather, it is a life of doing everyday activities such as owning, thinking, eating, socializing, talking, working, and resting in ways that demonstrate love to others and bring life to the world. So the point here is that oftentimes, addressing the felt, need, the felt needs of our neighbors doesn't involve doing something for them, some putting on a performance, having a concert, having some kind of event. Oftentimes, what our neighbors need the most is just an unhurried ear, uh, an unanxious presence. What they need is a seat at the table. What they need is just a moment of laughter. And that will be more healing and relationship building than anything else. And I think that is more true in the nerd space than anywhere else. So many nerds have just felt like they did not have a seat at the table. That table is set for everybody else. It's set for the jocks. It's set for the the people that are watching football, whoever's doing fantasy football right now or whatever that is, or the people that really like, I don't know, pickleball, I guess, is the thing these days, right? Um, That's who the table is set for. It's it's not for me. And one of the fastest and easiest ways to love those people, C.S. Lewis (laughs) talks about that friendship is formed at the moment when someone says, oh, you too? and immediately you've crossed a bridge, and the relationship is, bo- is formed there. And that will happen with nerds faster than just about anybody else. This is important because if we believe that the majority of Americans are nerds, which is what the statistics say, ChatGPT confirmed, um, <laughs> then one of the easiest and most powerful ways that we can love our nerdy neighbors, I, I also i increasingly question ChatGPT because now it like, won't give me stats anymore, and it makes me think that maybe it was previously lying. But whatever, if we think it's true, then roughly two out of our three neighbors are nerds. And if we want to love love our neighbors, uh, that includes loving our nerdy neighbors, right? And that means playing games with them in the same way that sports have this powerful, powerful ability to cross cultural and relational bridges. um, Nerd stuff, video games and board games have that same ability. And so the question here is, what does it look like to create spaces and websites and streams Um, that foster culture, which sets a table for our nerdy neighbors, making them feel invited, expected, and genuinely interesting. So summarizing this point, stage time is important. But what we can learn from our nerdy neighbors is the power of time spent around tables to achieve deep relationships, spiritual formation, and meaningful discipleship. The way you do this and the amount of time you spend doing this is speaking, and it is speaking loudly, and it's speaking before you ever get a chance to open your mouth. This is an example that Mark sent me. This is a church whose name I've forgotten. But on their website, one of the first things that you will see is this invitation. They say, use our discovery building. You can work from here. We have an indoor playground. We have a table set for you, young parent, young professional parent who works from home. Please, come and work here. Let your kids play for a little while. Have a conversation with other adults for a moment. Watch something other than Cocomelon, all right? Like, so this is, this is table setting. This is saying we want to set a table for all of the young parents who are working from home and are feeling lonely and isolated. And we have a facility, so why not set a table in it to come and work and let their kids play? This is table setting. This is LTN going to conferences and sitting down at the well of, I don't know, which one is this? Do you guys know? Gen Con, maybe? This is Gen Con. So they're going to the well of Gen Con and setting a table next to that well and saying, hey, let's get together. Let's play a game together. Now, what I will summarize with is when we, as a studio, are working with clients, most of the time we are talking about their physical spaces. You have a building, how can we use that building? I'll be doing that with a client here in like a couple weeks. We're going to go and they say, hey, we have all these buildings, all these rooms empty. What do we do with them? And I'm going to tell them, buy a bunch of board games from Gilded Grayland with no S and put them in this room. However, um, I think that we, that's what we go to because it's in front of us, um, and because what the, the Bible talks a lot about, physical spaces, what the Bible doesn't talk very much about is the Internet, as Mark pointed out, and that is because the Internet didn't exist until, I think, 1983, and so it would have been pretty hard to include in the Bible. But uh, whenever that happened in 1983 and the Internet was birthed and the little box was set somewhere and they said, here it is, here is the Internet... Um, it was, as Genesis 1 describes it, formless and void, and we had this space to go into, right? Um, since then, land masses have started to form out of that formless void space. Land masses like MySpace and Zenga and LiveJournal, and more recently, uh, I guess Mixer, rest in peace. Um, and uh, TikTok and Call of Duty lobbies are a landmass in the wilded waste of the internet. And uh, Azeroth and Gilanor is runescape, and, you know, whatever. That was me, right? Yeah, it's true. That was what I was just confirming. <clears throat> that was me attempting to, like, identify if my people are here. One, one of my people is here. All of these landmasses started to rise out of this wild and waste that was the internet. And uh, the ways in which people are connecting in those landmasses are legion, and they are real, and they matter. We've talked about this a lot. There are people that we know so many stories of the real impact of these relationships, people uh, being the best man in someone's wedding when they've never even met. Um, Everything about... Many of the relationships that you're seeing here where you're like, man, these people seem like they're really good friends, and I feel like maybe I'm a little bit of an outsider. Most of us are meeting for the first time (laughs) here, Uh, but we've been able to connect through the internet and all of these digital landmasses and build these relationships. And so, as in our physical communities, we have the opportunity to be leaders in these digital spaces as well. And so I want to make sure that we're hearing, um, this is not a digital conference. When we say nerd culture ministry conference, that is not just about digital stuff. Um, It is including digital stuff. We want to challenge you to think about how can we use our physical spaces, our church building, uh, our homes, our whatever that looks like, to um, going to conferences, um, going on ministry trips, missionary trips with Love Thy Nerd. Do that. And also the digital stuff. And we're spending more time on digital because it's kind of the more uncomfortable thing for a lot of churches and it's the one that we struggle with more. Uh, But the point here is that... um, As in our physical communities where we need to be digging wells and setting tables, we also need to be doing that in all of these new digital landmasses. It is happening whether we want to be part of it or not. The wells are being dug and the tables are being set. The question is, are we the ones digging and setting them? And are we going to be present at them? And so we want to come back to this. I just want to challenge us to try to think through this. As I think about Randy... Every project I do when I'm working with church clients, every project I do when I'm helping to organize a conference like this, conference like this, this is the only conference I've organized, so uh, when I'm organizing this conference, uh, when I'm thinking about the various like, ways that I can be involved in ministries, when I'm trying to help out at Lux, uh, which for what it's worth, as someone who you know uh, serves uh, at this point, I think I've I think broken probably 100 churches that I've worked with around the country, um, if it's a, whatever, take this for whatever it's worth, but my, my spiritual home is Lux for my wife and I, um, and for, for many reasons. Um, when I'm thinking about how I'm going to volunteer at Lux, when I'm thinking about how I'm going to serve uh, the churches that I work with, when I'm thinking about how I'm going to organize a conference like this, I'm thinking, how is Randy going to respond to these questions? If Randy were to arrive to this church or come to this event, if he was going to receive this email, if he was going to experience this system of wayfinding that you've created, If he was going to arrive at this table, is he going to walk up to this table and say, I'm safe here. I feel confident. I'm supposed to be here. I belong at this table. I'm worth being at this table, and I'm loved here. I'm worth their attention. They don't seem too big, busy, or rushed to deal with me. I'm wanted here. They're inviting me to come sit. And the question I, the reason I say that about Randy is because Randy is an atheist, right? And so if the folks in your community who are nerds or LGBTQ plus or um, liberal or Republican, depending on whether you live in California or Texas, or whatever that is, right? Whatever that community is that maybe otherwise isn't going to feel comfortable in your church, if they can't answer these questions in a positive way, then we're failing to do what Mike talked about in the keynote this morning. And so we need to be able to think through whatever your ministry is. And we can, if you guys have questions and you want to try and talk about that, um, I would love to do that. I would love to try and like, help you guys think through what that could look like and try to think innovatively in those ways. But the question is just to think about how everything you're doing is answering these questions. If you're saying, we really want to be a place that is uh, encouraging people to not be consumeristic, but you only do one-way communication, all you use is Twitter, and um, your posts on Instagram are one directional, and you have stage time and no small groups, then inconsistent storytelling, right? Um, so that is my challenge to you guys, is to ask this question. How will you use your spaces, your paces, your websites, your culture to, an- to help people, the randies of your world, answer all of these questions? Um, that is all I have. So, if you guys have questions about that, I would love to field those. Thank you. Uh, yeah. My question is pretty straightforward. One of my primary outlets as a creator is podcasting. So, how mm. would these principles apply to podcasting? Mm. So, uh, so when we work with clients, the first thing we say is what story are you trying to tell, right? And so not every story is meant to be a, a story of like uh, we are really trying to focus on two-way communication. But if it is, if you're saying, hey, nerds, maybe as an example, your podcast is saying, hey, nerds, um, we, we recognize that you have not historically had a seat at the table and we want to offer you one. A, you can just be saying, hey, we see you. You might not ever get to talk to us, but there's other Christian nerds out there. And so we wanna communicate that to you. But another thing you could do is like receive questions. Um, Something that I love about um, our friends, we have friends at, well, Love That Nerd Does podcast, and then also Moviga, which uh, representing them is Asia here. They do all of their podcasts live on Twitch. And so they have time before and after where they're able to field questions and talk to people and hang out and have two-way communication which is a really cool way to say, hey, this isn't just about me. I am the one on the podcast, but let's have conversations and discussions. And that can be a really cool way, I think, to help make a podcast into a table if you wanted to do that as an example. Other questions? Um, oh, thank you. Thanks. Uh, so the a lot of times in theme parks and places like that, Mm-hmm. And one of the things that makes a big difference in the lives of the guests is the actual interaction with the park, ent- park employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disney talks about the cast member all the time. And do you guys have anything you do to help encourage churches for the point when they are going to have people using words? Because, yes. yeah, I, that, I can see that that can either take the experience to another level or almost undo what you've already done. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. If someone arrives and everything about the space says like, hey, you're welcome, and the first thing that they hear, actually, I love this. Uh, Just a little bit earlier, I don't know his name, but the man that is attending the front door here today, uh, Every time I was standing outside waiting for someone to get here, and every time someone would get there, he would welcome them by saying, hey, so glad you're here. You're in the right place. What an easy, immediate way to reinforce that someone's in the right spot. I don't know if you guys do that intentionally or not, but that was great. Uh, one of the things that we will do often with clients who hire us for this particular service is create what we call a communication charter, which is meant to be like, uh, I'm gonna use a football analogy and just know that I'm just parroting words that other people have told me because I don't know what any of these things are. I am told <laughs> that the quarterback is their thing and the quarterback has a thing on their sleeve that is the, the, the things that they do as a team. <laughs> that thing? <laughs> yep, and it allows them to make split-second decisions because they know that if it's on that sheet, then they can do it. It's allowed. It's one of the plays that, they, that everyone has practiced. And uh, so, what we do is we make a communication charter that says this is consistent with the story that you guys are trying to tell. And so, everyone can have a copy of it. And in all of your communications, it can help you, it will inform the communication that you do. And it will help you um, decide what not to do as well. So, you, someone can come and say, hey, we want to start X ministry. And you can say, perfect, that fits, that slots under this thing about how we're trying to tell stories. Or, hey, that's really awesome. This is probably not the right community for that because that's just not what we're trying to accomplish right now. Um, and so, yeah, doing exactly that is really, really valuable. And uh, people always say culture eats literally everything else for lunch. And so, um, being able to do that well and curate the, the types of words that your community uses is really, really important. Could you run faster, Mark? So as we are talking about digging wells and setting tables, um, specifically using a space for like a board game room or tabletop RPG such as D&D, one of the things that I've experienced is uh, for uh, TTRPGs like D&D, it's not just about having the space, but uh, having the community, and specifically the person who is able to speak the language at the location to serve the players. Mm -hmm. As you're building and working with churches, um, do you approach them with the idea of not just creating the space, not setting the table, but also trying to serve those who sit at the table? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and to be totally transparent, uh, not a lot of churches have gone for this. If I'm the producer on the project, I'm often gonna recommend some version of this. And more often than not, they say, that's really cool, we're actually gonna put a gym um, because I'm into sports and that's what I wanna do. And that's fine. Um, but it's a great point. And I would actually tell certain churches, hey, if you don't have that person in your church who's nerdy and who knows D&D, probably this is not the right ministry to do. Because nerds uh, have the unique ability to smell an agenda further away than just about anybody else. We're just used to it. We're used to having those conversations where you walk up to someone and you start talking about that thing that you just love and you just see their eyes like glaze over. Um, we're used to that like, are you winning, son, like mentality. And you're just like, I don't even want to, no, yes, you don't, care. you don't actually care, right? And uh, we don't want to do that. It just, it just won't work with nerds and nerd culture. If we are not genuinely interested in the things that they're interested in and if we don't actually love the same games that they love to play, then they're just they're, they're out. They're not going to want to hang out there. But if you are someone who loves D&D and you can be that person at your church and help facilitate that environment, then it can be something real. Well, D&D is satanic, but if it's anything else. <laughs> dungeons and... Uh, no, I just learned that dragons are in the Bible, so back in. <laughs> Tim Mackey said so. You're going to get him for us next year, Mike. Yeah, I'm on it. just call him. I'm on it. Thank you. So this question is a little bit more for the streamer side of things, uh, mm. and it's twofold. What are some ways that you think streamers could incorporate usage of space to better tell our stories? And then maybe what are because all of us Christian streamers we learn from each other, so we got some similarities. What are maybe one of the areas in which you think all of us could be doing a better job specifically of using the things we're talking about to tell the stories we're trying to tell? Uh, I think build a studio um, and curate that and just get like thirty or 40,000 dollars and do that real fast. I think, um, I think actually, let's yeah, this is not your intent, but I'll use you as an example. I think uh, if you can get really clear on your story, so unity gaming saying, um, I'm going to get it wrong, but it's going to be close enough, Hey, if you're tired of toxicity and loneliness in gaming, we have a table for you. You are welcome here. You don't have to be good at World of Warcraft. You might be awful, but we are here for you. We're going to offer you mentorship. We're going to offer you um, laughter and silly raids and fun raids. If you want to get good at the game, we will help you get good. If you don't want to get good at the game, you're still welcome here. The table is set. And so the language is the first step of just being really clear about, hey, we're setting a table just for you. If you are here and you are looking for a place to belong, you found it. Awesome. Step one, right, and then... Actually having the table set is step two. Uh, I think, though, also, um, having a space, like when you're talking about a stream, everything about your screen is the is equivalent of like what you're putting on your stage or in your physical church. And so just being really intentional about all of that as well is super important. And so the things you put on screen or don't put on screen, how busy it is, how much stuff is going on at a given moment, um, being intentional about, do I want a chat that is really, really busy? And so um, people can kind of feel lost in that, but it's, that's what I'm going for. Am I looking for a chat that's a little bit slower and trying to intentionally curate that? Am I putting things behind me that are like of World of Warcraft? World of Warcraft? Um, and so people know that I like actually know what I'm talking about and I've got my like YouTube award somewhere over here so people, right, not to flex, but because that, you know. Or am I going to intentionally try and create a space that's a little bit, sometimes, like... We'll have people over to our house, and we intentionally try to leave a few things kind of messy because what we don't want to do is have someone come in and be like, I don't, I don't want to touch anything, I don't want to mess anything up, right? And so you make your stream intentionally that way. So it's just thinking about who your audience is and then curating everything on screen and on your camera um, and, you know, adjusting your camera that eighth of a degree to make sure that you're including this thing and not that thing um, is all just, yeah, really, really important. I don't know. I'm not a streamer, so I actually don't know. I don't know how much time we have here enough for this one, um, enough time for this one. so i grew up in a, a very reform, reformed baptist church mm-hmm. um i you wore your sunday best right mm-hmm. so i had a pair of brown corduroy pants um that were really nasty not like your jacket but uh, <laughs> mine were just but they were nice right they were my nice pants so anyway um i grew up with that and Part of me, when you say, hey, your friend came in wearing the D&D shirt, I'm like, yes, accept him in. But it, like the child in me or just that training is like, but reverence is supposed to be important mm-hmm. when you approach worship, worshiping God. So how would you respond to that? And is that in any of your design? Like when you're designing a space, is it, hey, this is still a place to worship God? Yeah. Um, I, I think first and foremost... Uh, if someone is like part of your community and your community is, is a community like that, um, at some point, yeah, encourage people to say, like, hey, this is not you know, how we operate. But if someone new is coming in and they feel estranged or pushed out, that's, that's an issue, right? And so there is the issue of like first time person versus how long they've been there. But I have that issue. I went to, we have a, a client, um, a college church in Wheaton, awesome church, really good client, we love working with them. I had never been there before, and I showed up, and everyone had blazers and slacks, and I showed up as Mr. Creative Guy in my jeans and T-shirt. I didn't have this jacket at the time; I just had like an old hoodie, and I had only ever been to non-denominational churches, and um, so I just had no experience with this, and I was out of place, right? <laughs> um, but that wasn't who they were. What they were trying to reach, and what we were helping them accomplish, was creating a space where young families in their area who felt this obligation to present a certain way at church could be real and can have conversations with other adults. There were a lot of people in their community. It's a very wealthy area. And a lot of people in their community were work-from-home young adults, young parents who um, had messiness going on at home and no one to talk to about it because they were at home all day by themselves. And then when they came to church, they felt this obligation to put on a mask. And so what they wanted to do is create a space where people could have childcare and they could have coffee, and they could have an adult conversation. They could just be honest about who they are. If they had said, we're going to try and serve all the people in our community playing d d they would have really missed the mark because that's just not a thing in that area. It's probably some. They have a college nearby. But there's also a different church that all the college kids are going to, and they probably should be the ones doing the d d ministry. So um, I think that's a big part of it is When, when, when I, we as a studio come in and we are working with a client, we are not the guy from ELF Um, If you guys have seen that movie, it's probably the third best Christmas movie. Um, Yeah, are you going to fight with me on that? Muppet Christmas Carol. Thank you. And then, I'm not sure, and then Elf. Um, Probably Klaus. Yeah. Um, So in Elf, right, they hire the guy, and he comes in, and he's like, I've got this little notebook and it has got about three amazing ideas right here. You guys can buy one of them from me, and then we will implement and like write the story. Uh, that is not what we do. What we are doing is coming in and saying, what story is already being told here in your community? How can we take that, frack for raw story, distill it, and then help you guys communicate that story in uh, this everything speaks mindset? And so I think the simple answer is just that it's very dependent on the community, and some communities um, trying to cultivate a, a, a really strong nerd ministry would probably just not make sense. Um, but I also do think that, like, every church should have a way that they can welcome the person who didn't know what to expect and didn't know that they were supposed to wear certain clothes <laughs> and still be able to feel welcome and, like, they have a seat at the table. So um, I serve in kind of, a, kind of a bizarre context in a That's kind right. of middle, middle of nowhere uh, little town called Clifton, a uh, little bit northwest of Waco. Um and uh we're we 're a church that for the most part a lot of our members like we 're open and affirming um but it 's in a very hardcore uh in, in an area in which all the churches uh, they are very much so not welcoming or affirming of of uh, l g b t q i plus community and so how I was just wanted to see how do you see churches um, opening the doors, setting the table for that um, community, r- regardless of what side of that they, yeah. they fall on. Yeah, I think that that is kind of the beauty of this and the Love Thy Nerd approach to uh, evangelism is this relational approach. The first thing that you know about me, if you are an LGBTQ person, is shouldn't be my stance on LGBTQ. Um, our first experience should be just building relationship and being able to love you and get to know you as a human and bond over shared experiences. So the beautiful thing about love thy Nerd is being able to go to these places and set tables and just hang out with people and just, you know, you're a human and that matters and so I'm going to care about you and I'm just going to hang out with you. And once you've built a relationship, then we can, on the foundation of that relationship, speak truth into one another's lives and we can share the gospel. And so if you are someone who has the conviction that that means that that person should deal with that and try to work through that, and that's going be part of their discipleship process and sanctification process, great. Now you have a relationship with that person and you can talk about that. But I know, uh, when we talk about like who is your one, the person that you're trying to reach, my one is uh, this young girl who was, um, when my wife and I were youth leaders, she was in the youth group, and then she went away to college, and um, as she was in college, she said, hey, I'm non-binary, and everyone from her church that was part of her community immediately said, we're, then we're done with you. We don't want to have a relationship anymore. And so the people who still wanted to hang out and treat her like a human were um, all of the people that were at college who also were non-binary and had also wanted nothing to do with the church. And that is, now, that is now Kai's community. Fortunately, Kai started streaming. So now I have this opportunity to say, hey, I, I'm on Twitch all day. Let's hang out. I would love to just get to know you. I want to support your channel. I'm going to subscribe. I'm going to hang out with you. Um, you live in Colorado, sweet, let's get together, let's have dinner. And then maybe in in the future, there'll be a point where we can talk about, like, hey, how's your relationship with Jesus? That was probably really hard, right? Let's talk about that. And maybe there will come a point where I'm going to talk to them about their identity and should I be calling them them or she or whatever, right? But that's going to be a long time from now. I have to build a relationship with them first, and on the foundation of that, I can share the gospel. I don't know, hopefully that answers that question (laughs) a little bit. We might have have three minutes left. Great. Is that right? Three minutes. One last question? Sure. Hey, uh, so I'm probably, uh, I am affirming of LGBTQ, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm very careful of, when I have those conversations, for instance, my brother-in-law, who is uh, uh, transgender, he, I would never suggest he go into a particular space. Mm. Uh, of a church not because i think that church is horrible but because i know that that is probably not the safest place for him in the digital kind of space as well is there like do you ever take that approach as well to say Mm. um this community right here which would be affirming for you Uh, And a healthy place for you This community might not be the best place for you And maybe you don't have that overtly with them But do you internally process that as well? Uh, Yeah, I have a list of the uh, safe streams to be in And the streams that I think are just awful No, I... First of all, we don't have, like, a funneling mechanism right now, but if you're just talking about, like, me, if I'm in a conversation with someone and they say, hey, I'm a nerd and I'm kind of de-churched and struggling with that and here's, whether it's LGBTQ or whatever reason that they're de-churched, what stream would you recommend? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be, like, too spicy about it. I'm not going to name specific people, but there are probably, um, not probably, there are for sure, for various reasons, certain streams that I would recommend to certain people and streams that I wouldn't. If someone plays World of Warcraft, I'm going to rec- recommend... Susie's stream, right? Because he's the only person I know that's a Christian that's really playing World of Warcraft. If someone's LGBTQ um, and that's, they just need a place where they can at least like start to get to know Jesus again. There's probably certain streams that are not going to be like my first recommendation. Um, I would say that everyone that we have here, uh, I would argue, is someone who is, I think, uh, someone who gets this relational approach to evangelism. And um, there isn't an, a, a streamer involved here that I wouldn't feel comfortable saying, hey, you should go and check their stream out. Because regardless of what they believe about you, they will love you as a human first and, um, and build a relationship with you and care about you. And so, um, yeah. The end. Good job. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Give Zach a round of applause.